Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast coming at you this Sunday post-Bournemouth. We've got Nick and Dan back. Nick, you have been... Climbing mountains, sledding. What else have you been doing all the way up there in the in the in the winter north? Uh, well, yeah, I was in Utah and uh, in Lake Tahoe for for the week doing a little video shoot for work. And um, my first time snowshoeing, I snowshoed about uh, a couple of miles, which was uh, fun. Uh, so that was cool. And uh, and now we're back to talk about what is a tremendous result. Oh no, a really bad result for Chelsea. Um, so. Excited to uh, to walk back into this dumpster fire. <laughs> Dan, you're going to have to help him out. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you back, Nick. And we're glad that with it was a loss because it really that's, you know, Brandon and I record. We win. We advance in the knockout stage of the Champions League. And now you come back. We have to talk about a loss. Like I just coincidence. <laughs> if, only, if only we could play Leal every week, you know. Coincidence? Um. I think not. <laughs> I think not. So let's try to bring a little levity levity here. All right. Well, to uh, before we get to the powder kegs, reappearance to the pod, uh, we want to bring in George Benson, massive friend of the pod. Super excited to have you back, George. How have you been, sir? Been good. It's been good. It's been a while. I've missed you guys. The Cock Tavern's not the same without uh, the three <laughs> musketeers. So, uh, no, I've, I've, do you know what? It's, thanks to you guys, I actually go in there before every game now. Like It's just the place to be before yeah. for a beer. Before and after the game. Yeah. It's 
no credit to us. Chidge and, and all that gang have, have sorted us out. It's the least we can do to pass that knowledge on. So everyone, as you head over to London, hit up the Cock Tavern, especially before the match. Do a little sightseeing with all the stars that are there. <laughs> <laughs> Were you paid to say that? Or do you have to disclose? Or is this just we're just giving out big shouts to big places right now? Yeah. The Hashtag sponsored. That would be amazing. <laughs> I want to get sponsored by the Cock Tavern. As like the the show sponsor. That's At least over the next there. decade. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nick, overall theme of today's show, what do we have in store? Well, uh, to be fair, Dan wrote this, but I, I second it. Um, holiday blues. Um, yep. I, th- I think I think there's been a little bit of a rough patch, and thus we're feeling the blues a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so the running order will be how Chelsea set up today and how that set us up for the result. Then we can talk about the Rudiger and Zuma pairing and how that worked, and then we can wrap it up with if we each make one change for the four matches remaining before potential January replacements arrive, what would we do if we were running the transfer plan? So uh, big shout out to these Apple Podcast reviewers, Dan. Yeah, no surprise. Another week, another couple days, more five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. We had Joe Robb, we had Mal's Football, we had uh, TC uh, Rarlo, and we had Dustin is a Blue. All five stars, all amazing. Thank you so much for leaving those. And again, as always, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts before we record our next episode. We'll give you a shout-out, and uh, it's just a nice way of uh, appreciating the podcast, helping other people find us. Definitely, and a huge shout-out to Nate and Luke, who both joined us on Patreon. I will be getting your Discord access and gifts in the mail soon. Appreciate your support. And lastly, Nick, tis the season to get cold. Yep, <laughs> tis the season indeed. <laughs> um, what an amazing setup that was. Um, uh, yeah, we have a few scarves left. Um, I, I don't know the exact number. A handful, maybe a baker's dozen. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, we have been shipping those. Uh, Dan has been a, a busy little worker bee on that front. Uh, getting those out to our friends near and far. Uh, if you are interested in one of our only team in London with the European Cup scarves, George Benson has one of those. I'm trying uh, to get it out of the drawer right now. I want to wear it. It's been in, <laughs> in a drawer. drawer. It's been in, in dusty. the drawer, not hanging. No, it's it does have prime pr- pride and precedence with the other Chelsea scarves and. I can't see it right now, but and the Seattle Sounders scarf as well. I know this is a Chelsea podcast, but I've got to represent Dan. <laughs> so, uh, so if you are interested in one of, of said scarves that celebrity George Benson wears on a weekly <laughs> basis, <laughs> twenty bucks for US, uh, twenty five dollars for international. That includes shipping. PayPal us contact at londonisbluepodcast.com. And, and, and what I would say is get an order in before Friday. If you want it shipped sometime in this year, because uh, with holiday travel, it's going to make shipping uh, from this worker bee, this ununionized elf, a little difficult. <laughs> Let's go. Make Dan busy. Give him something to do this week. Uh, right. Um, now, now George is removing all of the clothes from his drawer. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? It's this tidy up I did today. Okay. This is, this is spring cleaning. It's always the things that you really need the most that just get piled under all the other things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My, mine isn't spring cleaning. It's called winter transition when I have to get all my cold clothes out of storage again. Uh, cause it's two degrees Fahrenheit right now. Stay tuned um, for the end of the episode to see if George finds a scarf. So, 
Yeah, we're we're gonna come back to that. But uh, <laughs> as as of right now, in case you all missed it, match review time. It was born within the Premier League at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea zero or nil. Bournemouth one. Not not what we were expecting going into it. Uh, but George, talk to us about the pre-match vibe and maybe the atmosphere once you got into the bridge. I think it's one of those games where you you rock up and you expect nothing other than a win. It's like a routine one. It's not like one of these games where you rock up and you think there's any potential of walking away with anything other than three points. It's not like a Man United or an Arsenal or a Tottenham. It's Bournemouth. And then if you look at what they've been doing recently, they've been so average. They've been in like a transitional period where they're trying to figure out how to defend because they realised they couldn't do it. Then they've gone and lost their best defender, yet they still keep a clean sheet at Stamford Bridge and win. So I didn't see that coming at all. But you could also technically say that we kind of did see it coming because the decline in performances has been kind of slow but steady for a while now. Yeah, unfortunately, we'll, we'll definitely get into that form table very soon. Dan, run us through the lineup. Yeah, so we had Kepa between the sticks. Azpi, Rudiger, Zuma, and Emerson as our back four. We saw Conte and Jorginho as the two. We saw William Mount and Pulisic as the three. And then Tammy Abraham up top as the one, number nine. Andreas Christensen, Pedro, Willie Caballero, and Reese James, all unused substitutes in this match. Substitute appearances from Mateo Kovacic, Calum Hudson-Odoi, and Michi Batshuayi all making an appearance in this game. Yes. Interesting, interesting. Uh, if you do look at the expected goals map for Chelsea, uh, we were supposed to have 1.6 there, 1.2. But as Kaylee Graphic said, the Blues are both unfortunate to lose and also really not that good at home to a much weaker side, which is not sugarcoating much of it at all. Um, Nick, from a top-line stats, I think this kind of, you know, paints a bit of a narrative here. Chelsea with 18 shots, five on target, 68% possession, 83% pass accuracy. We've had to foul them nine times. We picked up a caution, three offsides. Bournemouth, 11 shots, only two on target, one went in. 32% possession. They fouled us 14 times, picked up two cautions, and we're offsides once. It's uh, Chelsea had a lot of the ball. Uh, we had the majority of chances, yet here we are. It it felt a lot like last year, didn't it? I mean, it, it just, it felt, you know, and I, I know we're going to get into the passing movement and some of, of Lampard's comments here about what he uh, did not like about the performance, but it just, it felt like a slow march towards a draw for most of the game. And then, you know, this happens in football where, you know, Gosling, of all people, <laughs> will, will hit an overhead uh, and, and it just, you know, goes in. It was kind of like Tammy's from, from the, I think the Wolves match earlier in the year where he just kind of flicked it up and it, it went over the line. Um, it just, it didn't feel like there was a spark or a directive in this match. And I think that is a huge point of emphasis moving forward. This team, uh, a few months ago were so dynamic and creative and had different runs happening all over the pitch. And yesterday it felt like we were trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. And it just wasn't working. Nope. It uh, unfortunately was not. And so to get into that a little bit, I mean, that was not the result that Chelsea needed, especially with what's going on around us in the table. Uh, the comfort, 
Frankfurt in top four is going quickly. So obviously there was midweek positivity after we advanced to the Champions League knockout stages. But, you know, losing four of your last five for Lampard, the Premier League form specifically is not great. Nick has talked about losing to, you know, essentially relegation threatened sides uh, for a lot of these losses too, which makes it even harder to take. Um, But if we try to just focus on Bournemouth, uh, and starting with the lineup and substitutions, George, was there anything that caught you by surprise or maybe now that we've had time to digest it in hindsight, think maybe could have been different? I didn't see any. I think Bournemouth's best players weren't even on the pitch, like in every position. Like Nathan Ake was out in defense. They had um, Callum Wilson out as a striker and Harry Wilson, who's been really creative for them, who I actually thought if he played, if all three of those played, I dread to think what the scoreline could have been from for Chelsea's perspective yesterday because, like, as a creative outlet, I don't think Bournemouth really did very much at all. I think Ryan Fraser's a good player. He's very quick. He's very like he's he could have given Aspilicueta more trouble, but I don't think he actually did give him that much trouble. But for me, it's just like, yeah, we had eighteen shots. We had nearly seventy percent of the possession, but. At no point in that game yesterday did I think we were going to do anything with it. I've actually not left a football match at Chelsea for any reason other than having to catch like the last train home before. I actually left early yesterday, which I'm I'm not usually an advocate of that kind of debaucherous behaviour. But I, I just, I don't think I've ever felt so let down by a collective performance with, that offered absolutely nothing. Like all of these stats about possession, about chances, like, there wasn't really proper chances. Their keeper made some good saves, but I wasn't confident at all that we were going to score a goal in that game, at all. Dan, I mean, obviously the Emerson header was the best chance we had. Um, but, you know, I'm, but I kind of... was it really a good chance? But was it really a good chance? Because that was like right A header into from three yards out, I would take that any, <laughs> yeah, any match. Same. Yeah. <laughs> poor, poor execution, a little bit. But the point is... Um, is that, you know, I tend to agree with George in the fact that, you know, we we do have these stats that on paper you're like, oh, look, Chelsea did a lot in this match. But when you put it up to the eye test, like there there wasn't a lot going forward as far as creativity and the ability to create chances and things like that. We we settled a lot for, you know, kind of half chances on the day. So do you feel like there could have been maybe different uh, different lineup or different substitutions, just the way the, the match played out? Again, now that we have this hindsight vision. Yeah, I was shocked that, Rich James wasn't playing. And I think about where we saw the challenges were with Everton and with West Ham and in this match is that these teams have set up well defensively to just absorb the pressure and forces out to the wings. And when we've seen Rich James come on, he's not perfect by any means. I'm not saying that Rich James comes in and we win 7 0, 8 0. I'm saying Rich James comes in and our option down the flank, the interchange with whether it be William or if Pulisic swap sides with Pulisic, that there's at least some movement there, some direct play that wasn't happening with Aspi on that right-hand side or, you know, flop Aspi then to the other side, pull Emerson out of the game. That's probably the one, if I was just looking at one situational placement change that I felt like could have happened and then I mean, I think maybe the other one, Nick, is not seeing Kovacic start after maybe he's been one of, next to Tammy, the top two players in this side for the first part of the season. That was also kind of one where, yeah, this was a must-win game, even with 
you know, eight or nine or 10 injuries to Bournemouth starting 11, you can't take it lightly. It's three crucial points. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of my, you know, it's not as much about the lineup. I think it's just about the approach. Um, this, this to me is a must win game. Um, just given our string of results, um, this team needed to win this game. And, I think the approach was a little lackadaisical. I think George's comment about just the expectation to win is 100% accurate. That's how I felt going into it. Um, But, you know, you lose to the 18th, uh, 16th, and 15th um, place teams in the table over the last week and a half, two weeks. Uh, These are crucial, crucial points that I think could really affect our end-of-season standing. Uh, I think this is... I know that Lampard has to just be furious that they dropped potentially nine points in the table. I mean, think about where those nine points would potentially get us. Um, so I, I think it's just the approach to these games has been a little lackadaisical. I think, you know, George, I'd love to kind of understand the the atmosphere because Lampard did make a, a few comments about that. But it's it's just not it wasn't good enough yesterday. I think everybody in the stadium felt similarly to me. Like, for example, I was shed lower row four. So right next to the corner flag. And every time we got a corner, it's not like, oh, let's all get excited and like, oh, boys, we've got a corner. Let's like, this is a chance here. We just know that William's not going to beat the first man. And even the first time, like it was, it was actually a bit of banter going on in the shed when he actually did beat the first man from a corner. And then he steps up for the second one and everyone, I could just hear it. It's just like, no, he's not going to do it again. Not two in a row, surely. And then lo and behold, it's like he's there like slapping his knee and then Emerson takes the next one and then that was arguably even worse than the Willian corner. <laughs> it's just like the constant groans and sighs just... And I bring it back to like not expecting to score when we got the ball because like we, we mentioned pre-recording about Pulisic being kind of ganged up on Nick and I'm sure you'll go into that a lot more. But like when Bournemouth put a number on... Chelsea's really only creative outlets who were actually doing anything other than pressing like the whole crowd felt so flat yesterday because no one actually saw where the goal was going to come from there's not no disrespect to Pulisic I think he's he's been trying to grab this mantle of being like the match winner the man who can just like grab the game by the by the the horns and just do something different yesterday because he was played out of the game and I mean Emerson like does he not like? Does him and Christian not get on? Why wouldn't he pass him the ball? I don't understand. And the same things are being said over and over again. It's just like we're watching the same things happen, not just in this match, but in the game against Everton, even in the game against Man City, which is arguably the most frustrating performance of the season because we did not deserve to lose that game. Like I don't know why it's on a loop of repeating the same stupid passing over and over again. That's totally fair. I... <laughs> um... It, you know, as I was kind of watching this match, I got into that. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, Lampard was asked after the match if fitness was a thing. You know, only made one change from midweek, playing a lot of the same players. And he just kind of says, I don't believe in that. So maybe that'll be a thing that he comes to believe in a little bit more later on uh, in his managerial career. Um, you know, you had West Ham, Everton, Bournemouth just playing in a block nine, whatever it is. And we we just can't break them down. <clears throat> At home, it's it's not great. It's even I think it's probably amplified even worse because there's nothing worse than like a quiet stadium. If you're on the road, at least you have the battle with the home fans there. But like 
when there's not that connection of the home fans and Chelsea on the pitch at the bridge, that like affects the match. I mean, it, it really does. And I think that that's a huge part of it. I want to get in the passing stuff in, in the second part, but um, Nick, what did you make of kind of, of a lot of what Lampard said after the match, as far as his analysis, his perspective of how it wasn't good enough and what needs to change? Yeah. I mean, he, he did note and and our friend Naz, uh, documented this uh, quite well he said in front of our home fans it is clear now we are not playing well enough to uh, or getting results we are not creating enough chances we created two or three chances today and we needed to take them the fans weren't excited today and they shouldn't be Uh, he also made other comments about how the stadium kind of was dead and that the team didn't really inspire the confidence for for fans to really get into it it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg though george right because to me, if I were a player and I and I heard this just incredible wall of sound kind of uh, bringing me on, I, I might be able to play a little better or the fans might be more excited if the players were playing better. So, like, I don't know where it stops and starts, if I'm honest. Well, I mean, if if we want to call ourselves an elite football club, we don't we shouldn't need to have an added bit of atmosphere to get the players to beat Bournemouth. I'm sorry, but. If this was a game yesterday against Man United and we played like that, you could guarantee the atmosphere would be better. If it was a game against even like a, a Newcastle, for example, let's just say like we add in some extra like crazy traveling support, credit to the Newcastle away fans. Because it's just the nature of the fixture. Like I think that in, for the Chelsea fans to get behind the team, it's a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. It's actually normally known to have better atmospheres. Like sure. you've had an extra hour or two to have a drink in the pub. It's not like you've raced up to Everton and it's like, oh, we might not even make it in time. It's it's a good time for a fixture in December. People should have been like at it at the races for, as the fans yesterday. But I think everyone could tell. I, I don't know why. I think it's been like a slow burner of just negative football. I think people don't like the fact that we seem to be playing more Sari ball now than we did under Maurizio Sari, but it's just like, it's just not working. Um, but yeah, I think, I guess it would help if the Chelsea fans were a bit more supportive, but I think we've seen like the polar opposites in the last month between within the Chelsea fan base. It's like, it's all great. It's all good. Like we said, like, oh, we don't need to make any signings. We've won seven in a row. Like, Keep the transfer ban. You know what? Stick an extra one on the end of it. Why not? We can do it. <laughs> now it's kind of like everyone has kind of hit home with the reality of the situation that, yeah, we've got a very young squad. That's fine. That's cool. We can allow some like hiccups because of that. But if we want to be known as an elite football club and we need to act like an elite football club with the fans, with the results, but like on the pitch right now, there's nothing elite about what we're delivering whatsoever. I think what we're also not seeing, what we saw maybe a little earlier in the season, some of that experimentation with the lineup. So, you know, if we know that when we set up against West Ham, when we set up against Everton, and we've seen this performance multiple times now, you know, why not go to a three at the back, try to kind of do wing backs with Emerson and Reese James, you know, push, push more up, own a little bit more of the possession and, you know, do things with it to kind of really flatten Bournemouth and just make life difficult for them and press on top of them. Some of the pressing that we had in this match was very limited for very, very short periods. And I think that's why Lampard gets the question around being tired because what we saw earlier in the season, and, you know, maybe this is what we saw with Klopp when he came into the Premier League, we saw it with, with Spurs previously is that when teams shift to this style of play 
where the requirement is to press or attempt to press for 90 minutes, fitness becomes a massive challenge. And so while I appreciate that Lampard is trying to not allow tiredness to maybe be the narrative, Brandon, I don't know. And I I don't feel like we are pressing with the same intensity and we're not trying different things. The point that George made earlier, it's, you know, it's the definition of insanity at the moment. Yeah, it's probably hard to press a little bit with, I mean, if I think back to Everton, they just lumped it forward to Calvert-Lewin all match. So you really couldn't press it because they just released right away. Um, So, you know, when teams take that approach, that makes it a little bit different. Bournemouth were just dumping it towards the end of the match just to get it out and waste time, essentially, so they could reset their shape. Um, and I think that's where we, they, they like those, these teams have nullified the press by just saying, nope, we don't want it. <laughs> Bang it up top. We'll see if we can knock it down, maybe win the second. Otherwise, we'll defend again. And that's what has been happening. And that's why Lampard in the recent weeks has said they need to replace a player like Ed Nazard who can have magic and unlock a defense on their own because we're coming up against walls of defenders right now. And it's it's been a tough challenge. Even Lille, they wanted to play a little bit, you know, granted that it was kind of Lille B, you know, but they wanted to play. And so that gave us a chance to do some of the things that are strengths. Look, this is, this is exactly the time of year where there's enough film on Chelsea. People can start to analyze it, break it down, see patterns. Now this is when we have to adapt and tweak things to counter act what the lower table teams are going to do to try to nullify us. But, I mean, th- that's what teams did against us last season under Marito. Sorry. They're just like, we'll wait. You you will pass around our box at 30 yards. We're comfortable with you there. We need to have something different to offer them. Uh, I thought some of the crosses were the most dangerous things we had to Tammy. Um, and it was good to kind of switch it up a little bit. It just wasn't as consistent as I probably would have liked overall. Well, I, I think really quick on that point that – the pass that that should have resulted in in the goal from Jorginho to Mount was it, it was and is I think our most dangerous weapon this year. That kind of really steep angled ball that has a little bit of spin on it, where you know a Tammy or a Mount or a Pulisic can get on the end of it and kind of lash it across the the face of goal. Mount just didn't didn't do it well enough yesterday, and of course you know Brandon's goalkeeper's curse has resurrected itself in front of our very eyes um <laughs> but it, it's it's that kind of ball that that I just don't think we tried enough yesterday because it forced it forces opposing defenses to um to think differently about where the balls are coming in from instead of the, the you know let's put it out wide let's cross it back it's going to be ineffective or let's try and dribble through and walk it into the back of the net I think we need to try um, a few more of the the steep angle balls, George, to to break down defenses. Not even that. I think yes, I would agree. But just why why can we not shoot from outside the box? Like, are we allergic to shooting outside of the eighteen yard box? It's illegal. Uh, it's it's illegal. Yeah. The the problem the problem is if you do that, teams have to then defend with a risk. We're talking about Chelsea attacking with risk, but defenses can't just sit back if they know that a Rudiger or a Zuma is going to try and unleash one and then the keeper makes a save and then there's like a Mason, a Christian or a Tammy there to poach in a rebound. Like we saw that with Drogba. Yeah, he could have scored some of the most ridiculous goals where he had no right to do so. But he also scored a lot of poacher goals because he had players like Balak, Frank outside the area pinging ones that the keepers might save or they might not. I don't see why all of this emphasis needs to be on crossing the ball or 
walking the ball into the net. I think that if we tried to shoot once in a while, then you know defenses don't see us as such a predictable attacking outlet. It's just been a huge firework go out just outside my house. Uh, I think that was me trying to say like, bang, you hit the point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like. Brandon, I don't know about you. Who do you think is the player in this team who could be the one to just unleash one from outside the box? Well, Kovacic has had a couple recently, which have probably surprised us all. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I, we haven't really seen too many players put their foot through the ball and at least take that chance. I mean, you think back that obviously hard not to compare to Lampard, but when he would get ready and unleash his shots, there's just so much power. Uh, behind it I don't really like you don't see Jorginho doing it you don't see Kante doing it you don't see Kovacic to the power level uh, doing it so then you're like well now you have to hope that maybe one of like Mount or Pulisic can do that but we haven't really seen that from them so to your point I I don't know Barkley was the answer but Barkley is broken right now but the way (laughs) things are going he might get a chance just because Lampard needs to do something different and if he can come in and be that threat, you know, from 25 in, uh, he might be able to force his way back into contention. But a, a lot has to go his way for that to happen. Yeah, I, I would quickly say on the mount piece, like it has actually been really surprising to me, George, that he hasn't been kind of the late runner in the box. I think he and Pulisic yesterday ended up making a lot of the same runs at the same time. And there there were times where you looked at, you know, where where could you possibly pass the ball if you're standing right next to each other? You know, like my hope for Mount was that he was going to be the late arriver into the box and be able to smash some of those opportunities like he did against Villa, I think was a really good uh, good example there. But he's uh, he's been really trying to walk it into the back of the net recently, and I think it's not doing him any favors. I think a lot of that as well comes down to the way that this team have connected together. Like initially at the start of the season, when no one was really guaranteed a place, we didn't know what the formation was going to be. We saw three four three, we saw four two three one, we've seen four three three. I think at the beginning, players were willing to take risks because they didn't know whether or not they even had a chance to be part of the plan for the longer term. Like players like Mount, they kind of had to go for the jugular more often because like they. Players don't just walk in in their first season when they're that young into a Chelsea team. It doesn't happen. So now where it's a bit like, okay, well, yeah, I'm a regular starter. I feel as though Mount in particular has kind of, take, has kind of taken his eye off of the prize a little bit. And he's got a bit comfortable. And I think that some of these players, for example, Mount and Pulisic yesterday, brilliant individually. But when they're not linking up together, it's almost embarrassing. Like the whole... I think Mount took on a couple of players and then tried to pass it to Christian and Christian just ran the opposite direction. It goes out for a throw-in. Like These don't even get classified in the end as opportunities because the ball doesn't even make it to the box. So at times I feel like everyone's kind of trying to play for themselves and there's less focus on the the passages where people are trying to connect together with little one-twos. Like, why have we stopped seeing that? It's just disappeared from the game. Well, I think that's a that's a really good point and probably a good lead-in for our transition real quick into point two, talking about how the players played together or didn't, <laughs> as we saw. Um, so we're going to take a real quick break. Thank you to the sponsor for supporting the show financially. When we are back, it is all about... Uh, let's see, kind of the, the the struggles we had and then the look at the head at the transfer window. All right, so, you know, kind of talking about that, I think what we can do is I was really upset 
at the amount of unforced errors and passes we had yesterday. I couldn't believe it. Um, and it was coming from Conte. It was coming from Jorginho. Like, everyone was just not playing accurate passes without pressure on them. And partially that was because Bournemouth were cutting off passing options. Um, but, Dan, if you look at the pass map that you have in the script here, the biggest concern is how tight Chelsea are on themselves. Like, there's no stretching. There's no depth. There's no width. Chelsea were playing in this very compact ball in the middle of the field. And that is partially because, like I said, Bournemouth choking us out with the way they set up. But there, everything was a backwards pass. You go forward and you go right back over and over and over. Yeah, definitely a rinse and repeat moment. I think the, the real big thing is so like they, you know, to visualize it for those who are listening, it's pat mat, pass map as players pass more the size of their little bubble representing them on the pitch continues to increase in size. And I think eventually the Zuma and Rudiger ones are just going to basically turn this whole white pass map blue because the amount of passing that they did in between one another for the entirety of the match. Yeah. Look, I mean, your, your center back should be passing back and forth to kind of try to help switch play. But the amount in which they did it with, so uh, 117 and 110 passes today from our two center backs was ridiculous. I mean, Lampard's comment saying center center back to center back, full back to full back, back to center back, back to full back. I don't want to come and see that. It really was for all of the good things that Rudiger and Zuma did in this match defensively to snuff out Bormis attack, to make it difficult, a uh, couple last-ditch chuckles and challenges and saves nick they really are not the ball playing center backs who are going to help us move and transition quickly to counter like to start a counterattack appropriately yeah i mean that's that's the truth and i think both (laughs) of them um both of them have the ability to hit the long ball which would be a nice change up george right like that hit the diagonal but they were skying those over yesterday as well. So, like, so they were many out of bounds. <laughs> Ridiculous. So, I mean, like, if you look at it and you look at, you know, where the opportunities are really coming from and how deep Tammy had to come to get the ball, for example, that's not, that's not a way to win a football match. Well, I think we talk about diagonal balls. And, yeah, like, it was actually comical by the end of the game how many. It's like, oh, you've attempted long pass, have you? Well, let's just make sure the guy who's sat in row one is ready to catch it. It's like <laughs> we're playing cricket all of a sudden. Like, they should have given a prize to the, to the kid who caught the most balls out for a throw-in. It was embarrassing. But another thing I think, I don't want to give Tammy too much of a hard time, but I think he needs to make more dynamic runs. He needs to be moving more. He seems to, like... He has the idea in his mind. Like I've seen him a few times. I keep an eye on Tammy when Kepa's got the ball and the way he reacts to Kepa passing it out the back. Tammy's always frustrated that Kepa's not tried to go long to him. But Tammy still stood in the central midfield position. So if he does, if Kepa does go long to Tammy, like you've got to make sure that either Mount, Pulisic or Kovacic, Kante, Jorginho, any of those midfielders could be around him to receive it when it comes off of him. But if... Tammy Abraham is saying, you know what? No, I'm going to try and drop. Yeah, okay. Defenses like to play the high line from the goal kick. But every like one in four clearances or every... we Again, I refer it back to this pass map and I know that people can't see it if they're listening. But the amount of times that the same pass was made between Zuma and Rudiger. And if it didn't, it became diagonal or it was to the fullback. If it was just straight down the channel... And Tammy was making a dynamic run to the left and then Pulisic comes into the middle or Mount comes into the middle or a dynamic run to the right 
to try and get to the byline, that's when I think that Chelsea could start to see more progressive play from uh, Pulisic and Mount to get into the shooting positions because Tammy can hold the ball up really well but he doesn't get the opportunities to do so. And when he does, it's so predictable that he's crowded out by Bournemouth defenders. Dan, what do you think? I would agree with that. Yeah, there's there's nothing I find wrong in your statement, George. I just find the reality of that happening on the pitch to be a problem. <laughs> I, I would also kind of highlight the fact that, you know, when either it was Emerson or Azpilicueta, you know, they, they also were recycling back to Jorginho. This, this very horizontal passing game, not moving the ball kind of vertically, down the pitch was a bit of a challenge and it's you know the difference of having Jorginho in the match and having Kovacic in the match is that Kovacic will run at pace with the ball Jorginho is looking to to distribute to find an individual and outside of the attempt into mount to, to play him in really sometimes does not find that forward pass that you know people created clips last season of robbed assists for Jorginho like that ball has kind of maybe disappeared a little bit from his game and that's where you know I think going back to how we set up for this match having Kovacic in there when we did kind of get him in we did get a chance to let him run with it yeah that's when I felt a little bit better Nick about what I was seeing because at least then we were trying to move the ball vertically kind of continue moving it closer and closer to their box and not just allowing ourselves to get so slow within the pass, pass, pass kind of momentum where we really were not trying to move with any type of quickness or tenacity that we saw, we saw earlier in the season. Yeah, and if you can't you know, see this pass, man, Dan, we should probably just post this so that people can should we, see it. Should we tweet it out? Yeah, we'll yeah. tweet it out. We'll tweet it out. Should tweet yeah, it we'll out. Um, Pulisic and Mount are on top of each other, basically, on the left. Willian is far away on the right, but even his uh, directional um, kind of icon is like horizontal, completely horizontal and not moving forward. Abraham's is actually moving backward, and N'Golo Conte is, is like strafing across the midfield. So if, if you're looking at this, and I, and I know I kind of mentioned this earlier, like if you know Pulisic is getting triple teamed and you're not finding any joy on the left-hand side of attack, there has to be more of an emphasis from Mount to slide over Brandon and make sure that there is an, a lane or an opportunity for a late run in the box. It just, you can't stand on each other. You basically, if you're Bournemouth, you're triple teaming. So you're taking a risk anyway to triple team and, and not have as many defenders on the other side. But then Mount's basically giving you a, a free player there because he's not moving in any different direction. So they got a twofer. Yeah. And to, Put it in perspective, Naz tweeted, and I will say this is a little selective. So the center backs made 117 and 110 passes each today. Tammy Abraham, Mishi Betuai, William, Christian Pulisic, and Cho and Mason made 97 between them. Now, to be fair, Mishi was a sub, Cho was a sub, but you still had three players who played significant minutes in that match and still between themselves only had 97 passes total. Like the imbalance that is there just kind of shows you. And Lampard, you know, lamented that the fact that we were going from center back to center back to fullback to center back. It was just back and back and back. And and there was no, like you said, you know, George, whether it's the runs, whether it's the willing to take people on and, and find gaps, it just, 
I don't know. It seemed, you know, Angola Conte and Jorginho had to drop back in between the center backs or right next to them just to pick up the ball. And when they looked up, it there was it was nothing. It, it sure wasn't. Yeah, no, I think the more I think about it, the more it just winds me up because it's just, it's monotonous to watch. It's predictable to play against. And it's also frustrating to be a part of. When you know that you're a player like Christian Pulisic who wants the ball, who wants to be able to have space to dribble. When you're someone like, I don't even know if William wants to do that. I think sometimes he wakes up and he wants to do it. And then other times he wakes up and he's like, nah, I'm actually all right. I don't want to run at anyone today. So I, for me, the this team, they need to just, I think we need to change the tactics completely. For me, I honestly, I would love to see two strikers, whether that is Mishi Batshuayi starts to start matches alongside Tammy Abraham in the meantime, whilst we wait for a potential striker in January then cool but they need to they need to change it up and Tammy's either isolated or the ball isn't good enough into the box because it doesn't come in at the right time so I don't see where this is going to change anytime soon with either because the 4-2-3-1 and the 4-3-3 they both transition into similar shapes in offense and defense so it's it's become so so predictable and I think that is the reason for the turn in form and I think a lot of it, again, probably comes down to that the honeymoon phase of having to play to get that starting spot in the team. That's kind of gone now. These players have got to remember that now that there's like a $150 million to be spent in January, probably more than that in the summer, like players like Callum Hudson-Odoi, when he comes on and gets minutes, he's got to be more effective. He's got to be offering a lot more width, like even when Callum came on yesterday, he's trying to like come into the middle to collect the ball because it wasn't going out onto the wings. So I just think we've all got to just accept that maybe the the overall quality in the way that this team is built from the back isn't there for the attacking players to be able to show what they can really do in the positions that matter most in front of goal. Yep, and that is, that is an interesting part of what can we change so that teams don't know what to expect coming into that. Always having something different. Because I wouldn't say we're like a Liverpool or a City where we eventually will just overpower them because we are such a loaded lineup. There's going to need to be changes and being clever and finding ways to break these teams down for Chelsea until we get back to kind of those top echelons of, of where we've been before. So with that being said, January is coming very soon, only a couple weeks away. And while there is a desire to look ahead to the transfers that we could make to strengthen the side, Chelsea have four more Premier League matches before that window opens, and they are Spurs with Jose, Southampton, Arsenal, and Brighton. So if you could influence a single decision from this stretch of games, what would it be? Nick, if you're looking for Lampard to do one thing differently as we ramp up, maybe it's give someone a chance who hasn't gotten it. Maybe you're just going to completely freeze someone out at this point or, or something even smaller. What, what do you think? Well, I think as George was talking about Tammy's position earlier, I, I think that's 100% right. Um, it's it's not only being able to play an accurate ball up to him, uh, either from you know the goal kick or from midfield, but it's also about players being in position if he doesn't control or yeah if he doesn't control the ball perfectly to kind of mop up the the rebound right um, and I think 
that leads me to think about a four four two as a as a tactical switch uh, for a couple of matches to see how it works because I don't I, I know that he's hungry for goals and I know that he he probably doesn't want to be a hold up striker like Giroux or whatever but I do think there might be some value in having a ball that's able to be played up for the second striker whether that's Pulisic or Giroux or or Batshuayi or someone like that to to get the ball and then to have the whole team with width advance it forward and not be so stuck in the middle. Uh, I think that's that's maybe something that I would try and change. And I know that sounds like it, it might be a little bit uh, pedantic or, or route one, uh, Dan, but to me, we, we need to try something different and I would be willing to, uh, to see what that looked like if I were Lampard. Yeah, I, formation and lineup make the most sense in terms of what you do to experiment. I, I think where my mind is going to, if I'm making one change, it's how do we do more with getting the ball to, you know, fi- find ways to get the ball to Tammy, right? If we get the ball to Tammy, we're going to win games. He's, you know, converts at a really, a generally a high rate relative to other strikers in the Premier League. I think doing that results to maybe going back to having a three at the back for a little bit, try and as be, Zuma Rudiger situation, get Reese into the lineup so in Emerson, have them kind of operate as that, those kind of wing backs and, you know, put Conte and Kovacic and go for like a, uh, a three, four, three situation where we're, we're have the ball, we're pushing it forward. We're, you know, getting a chance to kind of whip in crosses into the box. I mean, Emerson is not as good as James in terms of delivering those crosses, but we have to do something that's going to, make it difficult and Pulisic has shown that he can head the ball in. So, you know, we, if there's a concern around the fact that we don't have maybe enough tall players on the pitch, Pulisic has found a way to score headers. Abraham will find a way to score headers. We just need to put the ball on them to make that happen. And that's where I want to try where teams are giving us space is been on the wings. So let's take advantage of the space that we're being given, George. No, I totally agree. I think we can all kind of say that there's more support needed for Tammy whether that's like a 3-4-3 or a 4-4-2 diamond potentially. But again, I think the issue at the moment is the width. And I think if we go with the diamond, it would have to be to like to benefit our best players. It would need to be a narrow one. So that's not going to work. I Again, one of Pulisic's things I didn't think he had in his locker is that heading ability. We've seen him score headed goals. Even yesterday, he cut one back across. Like He's very good in the air and he could be very useful. But I think in terms of if he was to play as like a second striker with Tammy, I think we'd see him score more than Tammy because I think that Tammy is, is probably still better in the air than Pulisic if we break it all down and narrow it all up. Um, and I think Pulisic would actually benefit a lot off of maybe finding those scraps. But whatever it is that needs to change, I think it needs to be someone who is tighter to Tammy, which would then hopefully move either Mount or Pulisic away from one another. Like they could be cool friends off the pitch and stuff and hang out. But like, we don't want to see you like in each other's pockets when you're playing. Like it looks at the moment as if they're like doing their own little school kick around routine together, but it's just not working. And it's, it's kind of nullifying a position in the side. It's almost like we're playing with 10 men because they become one. Yeah. So I think either, I don't know, like there's not really anyone who I look at on the bench to come in if Mount was to be dropped, a lot of people I've seen have said like, oh, Mount's had a few bad games now. It's about time Frank drops him. 
I don't necessarily think that it's about dropping Mount because I think he can bring this team a lot that someone who could come off the bench couldn't. And I look at the bench and I don't see anybody who would come in and dramatically change the dynamic, which at the moment is desperately what's needed. So I think give Pulisic a run in more of like a central position alongside Tammy. And I think we'd at least have more, we'd see more fruits from the labour of at least crossing the ball in. If we can get the ball into the flipping box, <laughs> that that is interesting, um, and I think might lead Brandon to my my kind of final point on this is where I've seen Pulisic most dangerous is when he drops centrally and makes a central run up because he scares the shit out of opposing defenders. He's willing to run at pace and with control that basically freezes a back line, and that's where you can possibly see a runner in from behind, whether that's a Mount or, or Callum or William really finding joy. Um, I think that makes it harder for Tammy because he's not necessarily kind of a, a turn and hit type of striker if he does get the right ball. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that too. And also an adjustment that we all, all talked about, Brandon, is just shoot the ball. <laughs> just, just rip it. See what happens, man. Right. Pulisic has been most threatening when he's coming in from the left and going across the top of the box at the right where he essentially will easily turn the 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 right back so now he's running at a center back and they're typically big tall guys that are not nearly as fast and he can put them on ice skates a little bit um so i think that's a really interesting shot i mean honestly my you know i didn't have too much i think it's the the change has you know there's a lot of attitude stuff of not being complacent and sitting back and waiting and just I would just love to see the team like run out of gas at the end of the game because we just just d- like did not let off a team until they just gave up because we know if you put people under pressure they're going to crack they're going to give up you know if if you constantly make them have to defend they're going to get in their own head and, and a mistake will happen I mean that's what I would like to see you know I mean this match the last couple of matches you're making changes to to catch the game or to try to nick it at the end because it hasn't worked I just Sometimes you see like Liverpool and City, they just go at these teams with like almost like a lack of respect because they're like, we're just going to press you into the ground until you give us what we need. And then once they're under so much pressure and then once they finally crack, it all breaks open and they're not going to put up a fight and they're going to give up three, four goals kind of a thing. That's what at least like find a match and maybe it is a Spurs match because it's a bigger one that we go out there and just run at them from the beginning and try to counteract everything they're going to do, especially... You know, if anyone knows Frank or Jose and what he's going to set up in a big match, like it's Frank. He's done it for years. So I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Oh, man, it's there's so much going on right now. It's just like <laughs> we could do this for hours, but I do want to want to kind of wrap it up a little bit so we can let this fly out into the pod verse and then we can have a discussion all week about it. So Dan of the match poll, Dan, what was where were you at mentally? going going into this knowing that you had this this responsibility <laughs> to the listeners <laughs> it's all about making sure that we don't get negative with uh, the the dan the match poll sometimes we won't run it after a result this one didn't feel like not we should not run it but look as is in there four percent zuma's in there 11 percent rudiger's in there 14 percent no surprise the overwhelming individual that won the match of the day in the match poll 71 percent supporters for watching because that one was a grind and uh, everybody deserves a little pat on the back for making it through 90 minutes of that match i think so 
I mean, I turned off my stream early. Is that the same, George? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you could just blame that on anything, to be honest. I just walked out because <laughs> I thought, oh, I don't want to be in the queues of people to leave. I, don't, I can't be bothered to talk to anyone, so I'm out. I was so deflated at the last few minutes. Once, like, pretty much, I watched a little after the goal went in, and I was like, nothing's happening. I'm out. Like, no thank yeah. you. <sighs> well, that's the thing. I think after, to round up everything we've said, we just want to see something new. We just want to see some, some like, even if, even if it doesn't work, I said that, I've said this in the video that I'm releasing today. Like if you, if you shoot from 30 yards and it, it hits the roof of the stadium, like that's cool with me. I'd rather see that than like trying to walk into four flipping defenders who are six foot five. And then next thing you know, like there's a counter attack going on. I'd much rather see that. And Tottenham, I mean, if we win that game, I don't care about anything that's happened in the past five weeks. <laughs> we could have lost them all 6-0. If we beat Spurs, they won today, didn't they? 2-1 yeah. last minute. I don't think we will, but, 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 you said Frank knows Jose. He knows what he's going to do. I'm excited now. Yeah, I'm sure. And so the table as it stands, this is a live look. So Man City are up 2-0 against Arsenal at the time of recording, just to let you know how we are doing so liverpool at the top 49 points still quite ridiculous undefeated leicester city in second 39 points city uh, currently in third at 35 points chelsea uh fourth on 29 points and this is where it starts gets a little bit hairy so tottenham in fifth on 26 points and that's who we play so talk about a huge match coming up it's a six-pointer man i mean yeah. it honestly is it it this is what I was saying earlier, though, right? Remember when we were comfortable in, in the top four or even third? You you basically, by losing to three relegation-threatened teams over the last week and a half, have given up nine points. Now, imagine where those nine points would put us, 38 points, comfortably, comfortably in there, and and well ahead of Spurs, um, if, you know, kind of matching their recent uptick in form. So... It is a big deal, George, that, you know, it, you know, run of form is happening or a bad run of form is happening at such a crucial moment with the matches that are only going to keep coming thick and fast. Yeah, but at the same time, it would be a very Chelsea thing to do to just wipe all of this form book, rip it up, leave it in this decade and go and beat Spurs in their new stadium just to just to just remind them who the <laughs> superior club in London is. It's like, you might have a nice fancy new stadium. You might have our old manager because he didn't fit in with us anymore. You've got our sloppy seconds now, Spurs. We're coming to your gaff and we're going to stick you to the sword. I think, I, honestly, I think we're going to go there and play football next week. Because at the moment, I don't think we're playing like proper football. We've seen it this season away from home. Sometimes Chelsea look like one of the best teams in the league when we're playing away and we look like relegation fodder when we're playing at home. And I think a lot of that might be down to just a fearless nature. And again, like it's you're in a hostile atmosphere. We will be next week. I think there's enough big name players, despite these youngsters, there's enough players in that team, the Jorginhos, the Kovacic's, the Kante's, all three of them have to play next week for me. All three of them. They can just grab this game and be like, listen, Mason, listen, Christian, like this is the biggest game in our season. The fans are on our backs now. Everyone's on our backs. Literally, Tottenham are like piggybacking us and about to leapfrog us like a flipping, you know, pole, pole vault over the top. Like, I think this team 
are going to turn up next week and get something, or at least put in at least put in a performance that we can all say, you know what? All right, cool. We they had too much for us. Fair play, Spurs. Just fight. Yeah, I I, I agree with that, Dan. Um, I think looking toward where we can hurt Spurs. Um, I watched their their uh, performance today. Wolves pressed the absolute shit out of them and made them uncomfortable for ninety minutes and probably deserved to get a point out of the match. I think if we bring the right energy and the midfield plays well, you know, especially with Erickson not being in favor and knowing that he's hurt us a bunch uh, in previous years, uh, I, I think there is a real solid chance that we can have a, a solid performance if if we bring the right energy. Yeah, without question. I mean, we know, and I think George underlined this point perfectly, is that it is the Chelsea way to be an absolute and complete turmoil and to just absolutely be dropping these terrible results against teams that we should have beaten handedly and then go out against a team that, you know, for all intents and purposes, probably has some better players, you know, in terms of a collective unit at the moment and just go out and get the result. I mean, it would be the exact type of thing that we do. And let's hopefully hope that the Chelsea DNA in this moment is, uh, flowing strong and empowering our team, Brandon. Yeah, unfortunately, we are trending down and they're trending up. Uh, but it is the perfect time to change the trajectory and what, it, what a big one it would be. So um, anyways, all of you, thank you for listening. George, thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah, it was buddy. great. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> I always love coming on. We need to do it again. We will. I'm sure we will. Uh, but listeners, again, let us know what you agreed with, disagreed with. Let's continue the conversation throughout the week. Uh, Discord is the best place to, to do that with us. Obviously, it's through our Patreon. Just let us know if you're interested in getting access. Uh, but all of you, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Another week, another pod. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.